Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. So every so often, I find myself scrolling through Instagram just to see what's being put out there. And every so often, I come across a post that I honestly have to do a double take on. And this happened just recently. And I came across a post that honestly, absolutely floored me because it was about treating eating disorders. And as someone who treats eating disorders, I make a point to stay on top of the research in our field and to know what treatments are known to be helpful and effective in treating them. And again, I can honestly say that what I read in this post was shocking and extremely concerning. It was so much to the point that I almost immediately DM'd the person who posted it, asking her if she would be interested in being a guest on the podcast. And I was so thrilled to not only hear back from her, but to have her book a time to be on the show. And you may be asking, well, well why? <laughs> why? It's because it's important to discuss what's going on out there with the treatment of eating disorders in the medical field. And I truly feel that if this topic is not discussed, and if people are not made aware of what is going on, then, you know, people are going to be going to their medical doctors and possibly be given a treatment that really isn't a treatment for their eating disorder at all. And you may be wondering, okay, this sounds cryptic and confusing right now. And okay, that's okay, because we're going to get into all of this. And I'm going to go introduce my guest and bring her on. So what I want you to do is just sit back, listen, and this will all make sense. So who's this guest? She's the one that posted this post. Um, Dr. Anita Federici is a, she's truly an expert in the field of eating disorders. I'm so thrilled to have her here. She is a fellow for the Academy of Eating Disorders, a clinical psychologist, and the owner and clinical director of the Center for Psychology and Emotion Regulation. That's a private clinic specializing in the assessment and treatment of eating disorders of emotion regulation, including recurrent suicide, self-injury, and borderline personality disorder. She has an established reputation for her work as a therapist, clinical trainer, researcher, program director, and consultant. She's also an adjunct faculty member at York University. And in 2019, she was awarded the Businesswoman of the Year by the Meridian Women of Excellence Committee. She has presented more than 100 clinical trainings, workshops, and invited talks. Her work has been presented at international conferences and published in peer-reviewed journals and invited book chapters. Well, Anita, welcome to the show. Really glad to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to be able to talk about these uh, these issues. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> this is a definitely timely topic. Um, so, you know, I've had a couple podcasts uh, talking about Ozempic before, but it seems like there just keeps coming, you know, new information, shocking information. Tell me what you think about all of this. Well, I think, I think, you know, one of the, you know, we got connected because you saw something that I had posted mm -hmm. and it was specific to the, the relationship between Ozempic and eating disorders. Right. So I, you know, I come at this, um, I've been, 
I'm a psychologist working in the eating disorders field, and I've been here, I've been over 20 years now. So, you know, when when drugs like Ozempic started to really hit the scene, I immediately I had concerns. Uh, and and uh, I have a, I have even more concerns now because I'm I'm observing practices in which people who struggle with eating disorders are being prescribed Ozempic as a way of managing some of the eating disorder symptoms. And that's I think that's how you and I started to get connected yes. was around that particular intersection. I think Ozempic, there's a lot to say about Ozempic. And I do come at it from this very particular lens where um, I work in the eating disorders field. Uh, and so it had particular relevance to me from that lens. Right. And that is scary to me, right? Like at first I was very like mm. shocked that people who did not have type 2 diabetes were being prescribed it. I've never heard of, you know, people really being prescribed a drug for a negative side effect, you know, mm. like, okay, this was a side effect that was negative, right? <laughs> like you might experience right. weight loss. Um, and then all of a sudden it became like this, you know, celebrities were talking about it and became like, oh, let's prescribe it for weight loss now. Um, but now you're talking about something again, I reached out to you because I'm like, wait a minute, what, <laughs> what, what? Yeah. what's happening? Are people even aware that if they go to their doctor and they have an eating disorder, that this is actually being prescribed to treat their eating disorder symptoms? Like, what are we doing here? This is, this is not okay. You know, it, it, it is, it's concerning from different levels, you know, ethical care, informed consent practices, and more. And, you know, just even as a bit of background, eating disorders themselves are, are still relatively um, undertreated, misunderstood, misdiagnosed, you know, and, and most physicians, if you look at studies, at least in Canada, most physicians have had less than five hours of any training in eating disorders assessment or treatment. So you have you have uh, life-threatening neurometabolic illnesses, anorexia, ARFID, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and so on and so forth. And the primary people that that they seek treatment from are medical practitioners, family doctors, et cetera, who themselves don't have a whole lot of exposure, experience, expertise in eating disorders. And now they are prescribing a drug that induces weight loss. So there's some big concerns here because we trust our doctors, right? You go to your doctor, you think they kind of know everything, right? Like you go, well, so, you know, a lot of people say, well, why would I question? If my doctor says that Ozempic is a treatment for binge eating disorder, why would I question that? Especially if I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Well, so yeah, to your point, like not going to, especially if, you know, having an eating disorder, this might be something people have been struggling with for so long and they're finally like, hey, you know, this is the wonder drug. This is the panacea. This is what I've been searching for, you know, for so long. Yeah. It's going to give me this relief. Like, yeah, of course I'll take this. This sounds amazing, right? Like, well, and we, we first have to recognize, you know, part of being able to have these discussions is to not pathologize people wanting to try this or or people wanting to know more about it, because we've we live in a culture that 
that is so fat phobic is so is so biased about body weight and shape like how could it be otherwise that people are looking for the holy grail right of, of course they're looking for the holy grail of, of course they're going to be drawn in by the marketing campaigns that promise a better life an easier life a healthier life if you would just lose weight i mean that's the, that's the messaging people are are told every day so of course people are going to say, hey, I want to know more. Like, it would be strange to me if they didn't. Now, what's concerning is that, well, there's lots of things that are concerning, but from the eating disorder side of things, of course, somebody that struggles with an eating disorder is going to be drawn into that and is very vulnerable, right? So so now we have this kind of circumstance or set of, set of or, a, or a situation in which people are, they don't like themselves. They don't like their bodies. They're they're trying to lose weight for different reasons, sensory reasons, um, you know, uh, all kinds of reasons. They go to a physician, and the physician who may not have adequate training in eating disorders may see someone struggling with weight, chronic dieting, is unhappy with their body, and might say, "Hey, why don't you try this?" Right. Well, and so just imagining this, right? So somebody, you know, yeah, to your point, you know, our toxic diet culture, sure. But what I'm concerned about is this medical doctor is saying to this person, they're speaking ed to them saying, yes, something is wrong with your body. That's right. You're not health. They're just weight biased. They, they might not even have a health issue, right? They might be there for whatever reason. Their body might be perfectly physically healthy, but they're saying, something is wrong with you. I'm going to prescribe this medication so that you're, you're okay. Right. I'm going to make you okay. That's Ed talking, right. To speak in their language. Ed's going, yeah, see someone else yeah. is validating well, of something course. wrong with you. Right. And yeah. take this and then you'll be happy. You'll be healthy. You'll be worthy. This will be, you know, what makes well, it okay for you to be, you know, in a better body, a, an acceptable body. So basically the message is like, your body's not acceptable the way it is. Correct. We're going to give you this and, and treat this. And the problem is now the person's not going to get to the root cause of why maybe they have their eating disorder. Like what is the purpose of them turning well, on food? It's, it's going to mask that. And they're not going to do the work to figure no. out like why they were turning to food in the first place. And that's where I have the struggle and the problem. You know, part of it is, is the promise that, that weight loss will solve all their problems, right? That's weight bias right there. Yeah. The other thing that you highlight is that uh, this, this sort of lack of knowledge that that this ongoing um, weight discriminatory attitude that permeates healthcare, right? That says you must not be well if you live in a larger body or you struggle with your weight. Therefore, the answer is this. I also think that there's a problem when there are not proper assessments to figure out if there's even an eating disorder on board. So I have been inundated lately uh, with people writing to me saying that they are going into physicians, nurse practitioners, because they're, they're having body image concerns, because of their eating disorder issues, and they are being prescribed Ozempic and being told that it is an evidence-based treatment for bulimia nervosa and binge eating disorder. That's what started some of my posting on social media because I, I thought this is this is wild. I'm going to read something to you. Somebody sent to me. I'm going to I change a few things, but um, this is a client that that sought treatment uh, for uh, bulimia and binge eating. Um, 
They were experiencing severe body image distress because they had gained weight during eating disorder recovery, which is actually a normative goal, right, of eating disorder recovery, even though it's very difficult. The physician justified putting them on Ozempic by saying it would likely help their body image distress, that they were in the overweight category of BMI. So this is someone that's gone through eating disorders treatment and is probably at a, a wellness weight that is more suitable for their biology and their, their metabolism and so on. The physician says you're overweight because of your BMI. So losing weight was justified and it could improve their mood and decrease suicidality. So, so the other piece of this is that, you know, we were talking before we started to record, we were talking about the link between starvation syndromes and suicide. So it's, it's actually a fallacy that Putting someone on a crash diet of weight loss is actually going to make them less suicidal. In fact, the research shows that it makes them more suicidal. But here's a person seeking treatment from specialists who, whose eating disorder is known, who's in the recovery phase of their, of their eating disorder journey. Granted, it's very difficult. Like I'm not going to, I can't sugarcoat this. It's very, parts of eating disorder recovery can be very, very painful, especially given the, the, you know, the, the weight biased fat phobic society that we live in, it can be very hard to live in, in a body that society does not deem, you know, uh, acceptable based on weight. But then, but then you have, you have experts who are saying, if you take Ozempic, it's going to actually help your body image distress. It's going to reduce your dysregulation. It's to me, that's unethical practice. I could go as far as saying that that's malpractice. There's no research evidence to suggest that. And there, in fact, there's research evidence to suggest that, uh, like I said, you are more likely to feel suicidal if you are in a starved state. And that's what Ozempic does. It induces a starvation-like syndrome in which the person is not eating enough. And what happens is that they, starvation is starvation is starvation. It doesn't matter why the person is in a starved state. It doesn't matter. The effects on the brain and body are, are universal and they're well documented. And what I'm seeing is a number of people on Ozempic with or without eating disorders who are now in starved states and nobody told them about this. Nobody's helping them. And then if you have an eating disorder, this is just going to catapult you right back into, uh, into a relapse. Well, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we were talking earlier and I had read an article that said that Manjaro, which is another, um, you know, yeah. medication just like Ozempic that has semiglutide, they put a black box label that said, you know, warning, you know, this can increase thoughts of suicide or suicidality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because they had to, because it's unethical not to, because the research is too strong. So this is what makes me and a lot of people angry about what's happening. It's it's not, people have the right to make choices. As, as an adult, you have the right to make choices about what you want to do with your life. I do believe that people have the right to informed consent. Mm -hmm. So my problem, one of the problems I have with Ozempic and, and the drugs like this is that my experience with the patients in my clinic and people that write to me on, on social media and so forth, and what my colleagues are telling me is that people are repeatedly being um, um, sold effectively drugs like Gozempic 
with the promise of greater emotion regulation, greater body image satisfaction, less eating disorder symptoms, they're being told. I have this, I have posts about this that were where physicians are saying this is aid an evidence-based treatment for bulimia and binge eating disorder, which it is not. I mean, it's it's crazy to even th- read those things. And and but nobody's actually going further and saying, and you have the right to know the risks in addition to the benefits. You have you have the right to know the risks. So if you have an eating disorder, just by virtue of having an eating disorder, there are already uh, difficulties with your metabolic system, potentially with sensory systems, perceptual systems, hunger and fullness, regulatory mechanisms. And now you're going to introduce a medication that not only is going to affect all of that, but can also cause life-threatening circumstances like gastroparesis, um, periostalsis, all kinds of things. And my clients are saying, nobody ever told me that. Nobody, or they're coming to us after being on Ozempic and they're just, they're not okay. They're suicidal. They're depressed. I have clients that have written to me that said, I wish I could get off this nightmare. One client said to me, she said, I I hate this drug so much. It's ruining my life and my eating disorder loves it. And I could just, it almost makes me like, I I, I can feel the emotion in me because, because I, I, I've spent my career trying to advocate for or protect people that I think are vulnerable, you know, and, and people that have eating disorders are exceptionally vulnerable. They're misunderstood. They're misdiagnosed. They're, they're mistreated. And here's yet another way that they are very vulnerable in this whole Ozempic debate. And I haven't seen a lot of people talking about this. And so I'm glad that you reached out to me because I thought there needs to be more awareness. People have the right to know that that drugs like this are not evidence-based frontline treatments for any eating disorder. They are contraindicated for people that have eating disorders and they perpetuate weight stigma and bias and they cause harm. So that's, that's where my concerns are at the present time. <laughs> well, that big concerns, right? I mean, it just reminds me of, you know, things from the past, like when people were being prescribed Vyvanse, right? It's like, oh, all that all people think that eating disorders are, I think, is like a behavior. If you stop binging or you lose weight, then you no longer have this eating disorder. Like it's that's all it is. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> no. You know, it reminds me of, you know, it's the same dis- a similar discussion to what we had with bariatric surgery, right? So this this promise that if if you just get bariatric surgery, everything will be better. And it can be like, I, you know, I have colleagues that work in bariatric clinics and they have different data that that I, I try to say very dialectical. I try to say I know that there's multiple truths. I, I, I'm not an extremist and I am an advocate. So I know that some people will will describe feeling less joint pain and things like that. Like, that's not my area. I can't speak to that the way other people can. What I know are the people that come to me or my clinic or my colleagues and say, I, I was, I've done bariatric surgery and now I'm, I'm a mess. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I can, you know, I don't know how graphic you want me to get here, but I, I, you know, there's all kinds of, of side effects and problems that are secondary to bariatric surgery that most people have no idea about. So I've had clients that say, if I had known that this could be what happens to me post bariatric surgery, I never would have done this surgery, but now they can't reverse certain surgeries. You can't, 
you can't go back. And so, you know, it feels like yet here we are again with the new flavor of the month. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, I, I was talking to somebody who was, who said that they, somebody had just gone through, again, it was bariatric surgery, but I could argue the same thing is going to happen with, with drugs like Ozempic who lost so much weight and they had no support after this. So they're in a starved state. They've lost a bunch of weight. Nobody is there to support them or to help them. And if you have an eating disorder, bariatric surgery, Ozempic does not treat an eating disorder. So now you have people that are in even worse conditions um, and there's no support for them. Well, let's, let's fast forward here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people go off Ozempic, right? Let's say they did lose right. weight. Let's say they, you know, that side effect, that, that effect happened, they go off. Nobody's, is anyone telling them like you go off, what happens? The weight comes back on, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I think some people, it's definitely been in the media that, that so far the research shows that, that you need to stay on this medication for life. That's what I am hearing. Again, I am not a medical physician. I, I am not an expert on these things. What I am reading in the published literature is that if you go off, you can't sustain the weight loss, mm-hmm. which, right? So I don't, to what extent people are being informed of the pros and cons of that, um, the the effects that this kind of medication may have on your gastrointestinal system, your quality of life, I don't think. Uh, people are doing an adequate job of educating people. At least there's a large group of people that are contacting me mm-hmm. that are n- are not, they don't have access to that information until it's too late. Right. And I think that's the point is too late. It's already caused some damage, health damage to somebody's body. And are those things irreversible? Like can, if somebody has, I don't know. you know, that's, there's we don't not know. enough information, right? This is, irresponsible and you know as I'm sitting here talking to you I'm just thinking like because the medication was known to be so expensive for people who did not have type 2 diabetes it sounds to me like they're just coming up with oh we need to find other diagnoses other medical diagnoses to justify prescribing it that it can be covered so people can get it there is that I mean you see it all over social media like how to get Ozempic if you need it for you know like it's it's all over so I think but it speaks to I, what it really signals to me is just how um, damaged our society is um, it, when it comes to appearance and weight. I mean, I, you know, you, we can't deny that if, if, if you live in a larger body, you've already accrued decades, uh, depending on how old you are, I suppose. You, you know, you've had a lifetime of being stigmatized, marginalized. People make assumptions about you based on your weight. I mean, it's a horrific way to move through the world. Uh, it's a it's a type of invalidation that is so traumatic that it's associated itself with poor health outcomes more than weight itself. So if you look at the science of, you know, cardiac problems and other things, we know that weight bias and weight discrimination is more powerfully predictable, in, a more powerful predictor in terms of long-term physical and psychological negative outcomes than your actual body weight. So, so this whole, the explosion of, and the desperation to try to get people, the people to get their hands on drugs like this is so, is so sad because it, it speaks to how damaged our society is. Right. So 
the, you know, one thing I try to do is a not pathologize people for for being curious about or trying these medications. And I, I think I said to you earlier before we were rec recording, we've had people who've said to us, you know, we've started taking this medication, but we were too scared to tell you because you're an eating disorders person. We thought you would you would judge us, or you know, and I thought. You know, I don't want people to not come and talk to me because they're afraid I'm going to judge them because they're they're doing the very thing that weight diet culture expects them to do. I think that people in eating disorders are can can be depending on their own work on weight bias because there's a lot of weight bias even in the eating disorders world. We got to be very careful here. Um, you know, uh, but I do think that we can be well suited to actually say to people, let's have let's have conversations about why you're doing this. Do you know the pros and cons of being on this medication? Do you have informed consent? And I cannot tell you the number of times people have been in tears saying, nobody told me this. And I say, you have the right to know. You also have the right to try things. You have the right to, if you want to try, I'm not going to judge people for trying these medications because we've created a culture where, of course, you're going to want to try these. Like, I'm not going to judge you because that's not going to help you. Me judging you won't help you. I'd rather have an open door where I say, listen, I have concerns and you're an adult and you get to make decisions. But do I think weight loss is going to solve your eating disorder? Absolutely not. No, I, my opinion is it's going to perpetuate it. It's going to make it worse. We know that, except we have too many people out there meeting other providers who are saying this is a treatment for binge eating disorder. This is a treatment for bulimia. So, so it's very confusing to people. Yeah. It's extremely confusing because they say, or sometimes like I'm a psychologist, right? So they'll say, well, but you're not a physician. And, and I say, yeah, you're right. I'm not. So I can't, I can only present what is published in the literature and what I know. So I'm concerned because of this, you get to decide what you want to do with the information, but I'm not going to judge you for doing the very thing that diet culture of course, like that is the effect of diet culture that you are going to pursue this. And your eating disorder is going to like this. Okay, so so I, I start with education. I think knowledge is power. Um, and I think non-judgmentalness is important um, because it ostracizes a whole group of people. Like if I come at this in a real angry way and I say, this is all weight, it is weight bias. It is damaging. It's extremely harmful. And I still, I want to be able to talk to the people who feel like they have to be on it or nobody will love them. They have to be on it or they'll never have success or love or, or whatever. They'll never be healthy. I want to be able to talk to you and help you figure this out. But if I come at this too strong, what the feedback I'm getting from people is they, they won't come and talk to us. So they're now alone with, with other people who are quite biased. And I don't want that for people. That's why I, I want to be able to talk with people like you about this. Well, I think the anger is not, from what I'm hearing from you, you're, you're concerned for your patients, but the anger is really directed at the people who are, mm -hmm. yeah. are prescribing it and yes. not really knowing the real negative effects it's going to have on people and what they're really doing to the eating disorder and how counter it is to the work we're doing with people. And that's really where I have the rub is the work I'm doing with patients. You know, how does that affect what we're doing in my office? If, they're being prescribed this, right? What, what's happening well, you're not going to cure, you're not going to manage, like what I would say to somebody 
who's come to me for eating disorder help, mm-hmm. who might also be prescribed Ozempic. Okay. I, I already know I got to start right there. I, there's no way I'm going to start on let's let, you know, we're going to work on, you know, normalizing eating and we're going to, we're going to work on challenging your thoughts and, and working on emotion regulation. I'm going to do some of that, but I already, the bigger problem is that, that this person believes that the, one of the ways to, to be better is to lose weight. I have to start there. And so I have to sort of talk about the fact that, that of course they feel like that's the impact. That's the influence. Let's talk about why you believe that. Let's talk about how diet culture has changed your life and has shaped you. Let's talk about where you've been bullied and shamed and left out because of the way you look. Let's talk about how you feel inside your body, right? Let's, let's really understand what you're trying to solve here. Right. Um, and I do give people the freedom to choose. Like I can't, cure your eating disorder. Well, cure is a big word. I can't help you with your eating disorder if you're actively trying to lose weight. Like I can't do that. That's like a magic that I don't have. I wish I, I wish I could make everything better for everybody, but I can't. But I can help you understand why you're choosing Ozempic. I can help you understand the pros and cons of that. I can help you understand how we treat eating disorders. And I can let you make an informed decision. Maybe I'm not the best provider for you. Because I, I I can't sit here and just just ethically watch you lose weight. That's too hard on me. I can't know what I know and just go okay. Like I can't I can't do that. But I can sit with you for a period of time and help you try to figure out what are you really after, and how can you be less mean to yourself and figure this out in a very wise place. But I can't. You can't stop a binge purge cycle. You can't stop you know, anorexia by inducing anorexia. Like, it, it, you know, it's, it's, I, I can't, I can't do it, but, but people deserve to understand that. So I'm not just going to close the door. Like some people have said to me, Anita, if they're on Ozempic, why would you even see them? Uh, then you support weight loss. I said, no, I don't support weight loss. I've never supported weight loss as a way of curing anything. But what I, what I won't do is just say, oh, you're on this drug. Therefore I won't see you. I won't do that. But not everybody agrees with that. <laughs> Uh, but people also don't know, you know, I, I think it's important that people have choice to, in terms of what they're choosing to do with their lives, right? And you can't make educated decisions if you don't have informed consent, right? So if you went, if you if you had to get treatment for cancer, right? And the physician said, you know what? You know what, Christina, I'm going to, this is the treatment. It is radiation. We're going to do, this is going to be great because it's going to shrink the tumor. You are going to feel better. This is, you know, the odds of this recurring are way low and you're going to go, yes, please. Like, can I start tomorrow? Like, of course you're going to do that. That physician also has to tell you what are the risks of the surgery or the radiation? What are the short and long-term effects of doing this? Uh, you know, where is the radiation happening in your body? Might it affect your ability to have children? Might it affect your ability to do other things? Uh, what, you know, you, ethical care must include those things and you and the physician must be satisfied that you fully comprehend that information. So when you look at, you know, medical treatments, it's there, they take a lot of time. Like if you've ever had a medical procedure, like they want to make sure you understand that if you get on that table for surgery, there's this percent risk of death, the hospital's not held liable, on and on and on it goes. But but for this, there seems to be a, a sort of a sweeping 
you know, you should just be on this. I think this is going to solve all your problems. And now people are saying it's it's evidence-based for eating disorders. And I say, okay, I, I can't stay quiet here. No, and I'm glad you're not because, yeah, <laughs> well, um, please don't be quiet. Um, I think the more of us need to be louder and and more vocal. And, you know, here here's the other thing, right? Didn't this become more of like a a popular drug for from more of a celebrity coming on and making it public. And this person was not in a larger body. Let's be honest. Right. Mm-hmm. This, yeah. this became kind of a, I don't know, a celebrity drug for people who had money, who could afford mm-hmm. it, who did not have type two diabetes, who were already in conventionally like attractive bodies. And so that to me is also concerning. It's like, what is happening here? Right. Like that's, that's pretty awful. It is. And it's what's always happened in Hollywood or in celebrity, right? It's you know, the, the glamorization, like back when I trained in eating disorders in the, like in the 1990s, early 2000s, we would talk about the glamorization of anorexia, mm-hmm. right? right? Right. You know, you, we can go into sort of all the ways that, that, that heroin chic and, and being, you know, twiggy and, and the, you know, all of that has, People have always glamorized it as as the sort of epitome of beauty and success and achievement and motivation and whatever. So this doesn't actually surprise me that you're seeing celebrities, you know, uh, using these medications to achieve that status because it's always been that status in some way, shape, or form, right? Whether it's thin spiration or fit spiration or the you know the the slim thick ideal, depending on what culture you come from, the thin thick ideal, so that Kim Kardashian sort of look, that has always existed in Hollywood, you know, and I I and of course it does because I, I can't imagine growing up in in a celebrity environment, right, where the pressure to look a certain way is is magnified. Like, of course they're going to do this, right? So to me, I, I I almost can't blame them because they're a product of this whole system where I place responsibility and accountability is on people that take Hippocratic oaths to do no harm. That is your job. It's not Kim Kardashian's job because she's not, well, I don't know. She's Isn't she becoming a lawyer or something? Perhaps there's more here that, you know, but, you know, I can't blame Hollywood because Hollywood is just a, a product of this whole mad machine, right? I place accountability on the people who have the prescribing privileges and and who have an ethical duty to do no harm. So to me, that means not only informed consent, but it also means informed processes of assessing whether or not there is a history of an eating disorder, whether there's a current eating disorder. uh, And, and I, I can't imagine under what conditions I would prescribe a medication like this to anybody that's having that's had an eating disorder because an eating disorder is a neurometabolic condition. So even if you're in recovery from your eating disorder, and I put that in quotations because I define recovery in a very diverse way, that's not necessarily the way that everybody defines it. But if you're somewhere on the trajectory of, of you know, recovery and you enter in a medication like this, it's going to wreak havoc uh, in your system, in your body, and in your brain. And and I I don't know under what condition you would prescribe that to somebody, and then and then tell them that it's a treatment for body image, like tell them it's a treatment for binge eating disorder. 
example to look. Show yes. me the research study that shows you that. There, I, I, there's not a single one that would that would demonstrate that. But that's the information that that our clients and and our family members are receiving. And I had one person write to me on social media, and they said, well, "I don't have the quote in front of me," but they said something like, "I you know, I, like I said to you before, I have to admit." And this is somebody that identifies uh, with anorexia and says, I have to admit that I would probably try this if it was offered to me because, because yes. And they said it would probably kill me because I'm prone to gastroparesis. And this is a medication that causes that. And so this person was, you know, I thought it was such a profound thing for this person to say, like, of course, I'm going to be drawn to this. I probably would take it and it could probably kill me. And I thought, like this is so unregulated. Uh, and so I get upset at, at what I think is unethical practice. And now, as you probably know, Christina, uh, Eli Lilly and other, other pharmaceutical companies are now going to trial meds like Ozempic on children as young as six years old. And I, and I, I say, Oh, Oh my God. Like, because simply because of their bodies, uh, there's the size of their bodies. If that's not fat phobic, you know, uh, right, right. I'm just I'm looking my at eyes. Nobody can see me from my eyes. I, <laughs> I know um, your eyes. Oh, the guidelines are just, ah, uh, because all I'm thinking is these poor children are going, there's, there's so many things, you know, I've talked about pediatric guidelines when they first came out. But, <sighs> I'm just thinking these poor children whose brains and bodies are growing are going to be malnourished yeah. and they're going well, can to you imagine? Up thinking they're something's wrong with them and they're going to have all of this in their head with their psyches and their self-esteem. And I just, and you know, what's going to happen too? not only will this have profound effects on them physically and psychologically, but nobody, no government is going to come in and go, Oh my gosh, you now need this, the therapeutic support, the nutritional support, right? They're not going to come in and support them. So this is, this is this short term, let's just get your weight lower. And nobody's going, you know, so this was, I, I haven't put this out yet on social media, but it's in my, it's in my to-do list of <laughs> quotes to add. Um, so one of the things I'm, I want to post is that, you know, there are class action lawsuits right now against the makers of Ozempic because of significant adverse physical and psychological side effects. And yet we're going to trial this out in children. And in one article, there's this Dr. Sadhu, who's an endocrinologist, says, we really worry about children because of their developing bodies. And these medications are needed because attempts to follow, and I quote, an extensive diet and exercise regime is hard to accomplish. So let's just unpack this for a moment. What this endocrinologist is saying is that they're so concerned about these kids' bodies. Why? Simply because they, they happen to live in larger bodies. They're then saying that we've tried to give them extensive diets and exercise regimes. And, you know, lo and behold, these darn kids don't follow them. So I'm like, again, you're trying to cure something that doesn't need curing. It's okay that people live in different body shapes and sizes. But they're saying, look, we've tried. We've tried with excessive regimes of dieting. And, and these darn kids, it's just not working. So we're going to give them a drug to do it. 
It's not working because their bodies are smart. It's not working because their bodies are resisting the, the, the drop in weight. That's what your body's supposed to do. It's called survival. Okay. Your brain is super smart. Your brain is just trying to keep you alive. So it resists attempts to lower it from where it should be. The problem for people is that some of our bodies are bigger than what society says is acceptable. And so what, what is dangerous to me here is not just that they're going to give needles of these drugs to six-year-olds, but that they their, their whole framework is that this is because we're concerned about their developing bodies and they just couldn't comply with the exercise and diet regime. That attitude speaks volumes to me. Yeah. I mean, they're... <laughs> They're creating bodies that are going to be unhealthy just for the sake of looking a certain way and having a certain weight. And that's concerning. They're saying, oh, we want you to be healthy. So we're going to make your body unhealthy. But hey, you're going to be thin. Awesome. You're going to look because healthy. They, they're the equating, they are erroneously um, equating lower body weights with greater physical health, which is not true if you look at the so we do trainings just on weight science and there's so many uh, excellent people like the, there's the center for body trust and there's so many excellent people out there really dispelling these myths and we need to elevate their voices like you know i i appreciate being invited to talk to you but holy smokes there are people out there doing way better work than i am who i keep learning from and i'm so grateful and so you know the center for body trust is one of those places I regularly go and follow and try to sort of, because they they really help people understand the the real science. And I think people would be shocked that what you're told by social media and what you're told by your physician is actually not based in evidence. So yeah, this- yeah. And I always wonder why is that information not more prevalent and we're not hearing it oh. you know because i was oh yeah it's that's a whole other podcast but like right we could <laughs> but how often right if that information was what we see on social media mm. would that be great i mean yeah they probably don't have 76 billion dollars like the diet and beauty and just, just well but this is it's a biased sample i say well who's got the money yeah it's not it's not it, you know it's not the people that we we want to have the money like that's that's the fight uh, and and one of the good things about social media is is it gives rise to these voices. Before social media, you, you wouldn't hear about them unless they had a lot of money. So you have you have pharmaceutical companies that there's a lot of money in the weight loss business. And I always tell my clients. So I know we have to wrap up in a few minutes. Um, I I put myself through university by working at a, a casino. That's what I, I deal cards in the casino. And so when I started to work in eating disorders, I said, oh, Holy smokes. The dieting industry is like the casino business. Right? You're not meant to win. So we always say the house wins. Well, it's the same thing here. The pharmaceutical companies, there's a lot of money in you not, not actually succeeding and in you actually hating your body, in you needing their interventions. If you really knew the truth and, and if we could create cultures and societies where people don't hate their bodies simply because of their weight and shape, we wouldn't need them. Yeah. And they, they'd be out of business. So this is a huge socio-political, ethical debate. It's not, you can't reduce it to one simple argument. It's very complex. 
And I give you a lot of credit for being brave enough to have these conversations and to share them with uh, your listeners and, and the people that you get to talk to. So thank you. I appreciate this. Well, thank you, because I want more people to hear this. You know, I, I, I would love it if people stopped thinking, oh, gosh, you know, of course, mm-hmm. people in larger bodies are not healthier. Of course, you need to like lose weight mm-hmm. for your health. And oh, one day, maybe I don't know, it's my dream. But you know, we got to keep talking about it. And, um, you know, more people like yourself out there working and um, helping people. It takes a village. Yeah, it's it going to take all of us coming together and working hard. And it takes all of us to look at our own internalized weight phobic beliefs. Like, you know, we have to, we all play a part. We've all been raised in this society that, that we all have ideas about bodies and, and a lot of it's implicit. We're not even aware of it. So part of the work that we are all responsible for is to elevate the voices of those who've been marginalized and, and, uh, stigmatized. That is all. That's part of our job. Part of our job is looking at our own internalized bias to make sure we're not perpetuating this, and to speak out and and help our our clients, our friends, our families have informed consent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and protect our children. I, I, you know, that's so. You have an amazing social media. <laughs> like I, I just love your posts. So if people oh, want to find. Uh, you and follow you how can they do that uh i am on my main platform really is instagram i i i have a facebook page but i really use instagram as my main way of trying to educate and advocate and i i think it's just dr anita federici which is probably a mouthful but um you know uh i'm sure you can find me in some way shape or form um yeah but thank you so much i'm so glad we connected it's just a pleasure to get to talk to you you too. And I would love to have you back. We can maybe see where things are at in a few months and maybe, anytime. maybe there's some change for the better. <laughs> I don't know, but I would love to think so. So yeah. Uh, you know, anytime I, I love to talk and you can always see what, what, uh, where I'm lighting fires on my social media account. So I'm, I'm pretty transparent with where I'm at, but um, uh, yeah, it's just a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.